You're listening to the Life-Changing Discipleship Podcast. Here's the deal. If you make disciples by sitting around and talking, you shouldn't be surprised when your disciples sit around and talk and talk and talk. This is the podcast for those weary of just talking and ready to start activating in the mission Jesus gave us to change the world. The Life-Changing Discipleship Podcast, where disciples and disciple makers gather to grow and go together. Here's your host, Dr. Matt Friedemann. Hey, disciple-making people, great to have you with us. Remember, the place for man, for a woman completing all their powers is in the fight. And right now, today, somewhere in the world, making disciples of the nation. So stay tuned, stay encouraged. We have a rendezvous with destiny. All right. Hey, listen, this week, now I know the, the, the way people listen to podcasts, they don't always listen to them, you know, geared to the week in which they're produced. However, this week is Revival Week because uh, some incredible things are going on at Asbury University. I want to talk about those, give a perspective. And I do think my perspective is maybe a little bit different than other perspectives. Nonetheless, very impressed with what Jesus seems to be doing there. And so want to talk to you about that just a little bit today and a little bit about our involvement and a little bit about what ought to be coming in days ahead. I think you'll find this very interesting. I want to real quick tell you about Ethan Kellen. Kelly, he is with Providence Capital Management, specializing in personal and institutional investment management. And so you can go visit him at ProvidenceCM.com to learn more. Or just if you want to just email him, you can do that. Ethan at ProvidenceCM.com. Listen, big Ethan Kelly fan I am, and I want you to be a big fan as well. Uh, he is someone to be trusted. I trust him. I trust him with my life, really. But uh, this is so very appreciative of what he uh, can do and will do. So there's Ethan Kelly for you, and he's a sponsor of this program. Very much appreciate all that he's about. Now, I want to... Uh, talk about the Asbury Revival stuff, uh, and it's very relevant. It's going on right now. I mean, right now they're having services at Asbury University, and a lot of people are saying, what, 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 what is it? So last Wednesday, real quick, they were having chapel. Now, almost the same thing happened in 1970. And so whenever you hear about Asbury Revival, uh, you just need to know this isn't the first time it happened. And it's happened a few times before 1972, but when you see, when you type up, when you go look at, read books about revival meetings, they will frequently talk about the Asbury Revival of 1970. Well, what has just happened in the last week is it looks like that kind of thing and maybe more. And the more part we're going to talk about in this program, but I will say to you, wow, What's going on? I mean, it's like there's no man can plan this kind of thing. And in fact, no man can. But I do think there's something about getting in the ready position. Back in 1970, uh, I have a friend, distant friend, I'm a little bit older than I am, uh, named Janine Brabon. And she got together a number of people and started praying for the presence of God on campus, that revival would fall, that something great. And then she didn't stop with her group. That group made some groups, and pretty soon they had a number of people praying. And uh, they recognized there came a time in that prayer life where it's going to happen. And somebody said, yeah, it's going to happen tomorrow. And guess what? It did. And God came to Asbury University, Hughes Auditorium, and did an amazing thing. Uh, we're not quite sure all the amazing things he did then or all the things he's doing now, but all we know is 
he was there. And people today are, are saying, oh my goodness, you can feel his presence. And it's not ecstatic. There's no tongues. There's no rolling on the ground. There's no running the aisles. Not that there's anything wrong with those things necessarily, but none of that's happening at Asbury. What is happening is people are feeling God in the midst. Now, there aren't professional musicians. I know that because my son happens to be one of those musicians. He's definitely not professional, but they've got people up there playing, but they've had professionals say, hey, I don't mind coming. I'd like to come. Let me come. And they say, no, that's not what we're doing. Uh, there've been big time speakers say, Hey, I'm available. And they say, well, thanks. Come. We'd love to have you here, but not from the stage. We don't want the hand of God, the presence of God, the face of Jesus to leave this place because we're trying to make something more of it than it is. And what it is, is ordinary people with a hunger for God being touched in a special way. Now that's, that's important here in a special way. Listen, I had devotions this morning, y'all. The same Holy Spirit, the same Father and Son that were present with me in my devotional time is right now in a special way at Asbury University. But I'll go ahead and tell you, he was with me in a special way this morning too. It's just sometimes when he falls in that special, uh, some people call it the manifest presence kind of way, just watch out to see what happens next. And what's been happening is around the clock for now eight days, uh, it's just been going on and, and on and on. And I'm kind of particularly excited because I've already told you my youngest son, I've got six kids. My youngest son is there helping lead the worship uh, sets, uh, part of the leadership team there. I've got another son that I have seen up there uh, praying for people at the altar. Uh, he's not a student there, but he's he lives in the community. So he's been praying for people at the altar and you know been up at the piano doing some work there. I had two more kids go up there last night. They left here at 11.30 p.m., took about 15 people in their church. That's just as soon as they could get away. And uh, they are there today trying to get in. I hope they can get into Hughes Auditorium. But I would just say I'm excited about what's going on there. I do think it's legit. A lot of people saying, well, is it legit? Is there enough preaching going on? Is there enough tongues going on? Listen, it's mostly worship music and testimonies. And yeah, I do think it's legit. Uh, I have a dear friend named Tom McCall. It sent me an article he was going to publish in Christianity Today. Now, he just sent it on to Christianity Today, but he just said, listen, uh, I want to give you perspective. Now, Tom's one of the, the, the most published theologians in the world, and some call him the brightest Wesleyan theologian in America. And so he writes about this kind of thing happening. He says, oh, my goodness, it's it's beautiful. He says, I went over there. I sat down. It's amazing. Jason Vickers gave his testimony. He's a professor over at Asbury Seminary. He says, I went in and just sat down, and the peace of God comes over you. Uh, there's a gentleman, Robert Coleman. Some of you will remember Robert Coleman. He wrote the book, The Master Plan of Evangelism, that has sold tens of millions of copies, 60 different languages. I mean, big timer. But he also wrote a book called One Divine Moment. It's about the 1970 revival that happened. And he was there in the middle of all of that this week, had a microphone. I would have paid just about any price to hear Robert Coleman's prayer 
from his chair with a microphone sitting in his lap. I just would love to have known his perspective. So yeah, I do think it's legitimate, y'all. Somebody told me that Craig Keener said, man, you don't have to go inside a Hughes auditorium. You can feel the presence of God outside the auditorium. It is profound. It is incredible. Now, I have a son, Elijah says, yeah, we, we went to chapel uh, there when we were going to school at Asbury Sem- uh, Asbury University several years ago. He said, man, when you got there, uh, you know, going to chapel is a three times a week kind of thing. He says, and you, the, the running joke was you never want to miss because you never know when God's going to do it again. Now, there's, Elijah's always, hey, don't miss chapel because you don't know this might be the day. Well, it's true. Any day could be the day when Jesus decides to come with that manifest presence. And uh, I'll just go ahead and tell you straight up. I've always been a little cynical. I've always been a little bit, you know, y'all keep talking about 1970. I'm sick of it. Quit talking about 1970. Let's get moving to do what Jesus wants us to do today. Yada, yada, yada. And I, frankly, I still agree with that perspective. Let's quit talking about what you did. But listen, Because they know it can happen. There's always somebody on campus praying that it will happen again. That's been over, you know, 1970, over 50 years ago. But it happened again. Now, the tip of the revival spear seems to be not great music. The tip of the revival, not even great preaching. The tip of the revival spear, at least at Asbury, in these two great episodes, 1970, and this year seems to be confession and forgiveness. I want to tell you my sin. And a lot of people say, well, I don't, I go to God with my sin. I don't have to go to any man. Yeah, but you're missing something in the book of James. Confess your sins one to another that they might be healed, that you might be healed. And that whole healing dynamic, it comes. Uh, It comes when we are willing to take the word of God seriously and say, I want to confess my sin. Now, I I, got to tell you, there's some risk involved in this. Uh, That's why God likes when it's done. He knows you're taking a risk. I was in Matthew one day and we were talking about the Sermon on the Mount. It's saying, hey, listen, hypocrite, take the log out of your own eye and you'll see clear enough to take the speck out of your brother's eye. Then it says, but do not give what is holy to dogs and do not cast your pearl before pigs, lest they trample them under their feet and turn to tear you to pieces. Listen, if I'm taking the log out of my eye, do, do I want to do it before dogs? <laughs> Don't, do I want to do it before pigs? Uh, no, be very careful who you do it with. But when you're doing it in front of a crowd, like at Asbury University, and you're all of a sudden saying, here's my sin, my goodness, that's vulnerability. And I think while it might be dangerous, and you might not ought to do it all the time. There's something precious about saying I'm to the point with my sin. I need to be vulnerable. I need to tell you where I've done wrong. So there's confession. The tip of the revival spirit seems, seems to be confession. It seems to be forgiveness that God forgives you, but you also need to forgive others. And there's healing and there's power and there is peace in all of that. And what we're finding out this week And what we found out back in 1970, there is power in all of that revival power. Now, the proof is in the pudding. That's what I've always said. All right, proof's in the pudding. You can have all these things. I've often said this about revival in churches. 
Proof's in the pudding. Uh, we, we already did a program on that about how we maybe ought to be doing revivals instead of the way we are doing them. But having said that, I, I think the proof is in the pudding. How do you do a revival where there's proof that you had a revival? It's a great question. And I got to tell you, um, it's hard to see the proof in the pudding from a revival that happens when it's a student thing. And, you know, we're not really keeping track of what each and every student's doing when they leave here. But 1970, this is what happened. The students, after the revival was, was, was pretty much over, they began leaving Wilmore, Kentucky, and going to other churches and to other universities. And they'd simply go up there and say, well, we're here. We're going to testify. And that's all we're going to do. That's what Jesus wants to do. Just testify. We're just going to tell you what happened and uh, sit down. And invariably, what happened, at least what happened over and over again, is revival would come to that place where they went out and told the story, where they went out and told their testimony about what had God had done back in Asbury. Now, they did that at universities. They did that at Christian colleges. They did that in churches. I know that because they came to a church called Wells United Methodist Church in 1970, and that is a church that I was an associate pastor of when I came to Jackson, Mississippi for my first several years. So I, I, I know they carried it all the way down to Mississippi, Jackson. I also know they carried it all the way up to Olivet uh, Nazarene University. And the reason I know that is we were talking about revival a couple of years ago. I was on a phone call with my mentor, a guy named Crawford Howe. Crawford Howe was a great Nazarene, great man of God. He was a great district superintendent. He was a great uh, 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 equipper of district superintendents. But Crawford said, Matt, let me tell you what happened one day to me at Olivet. He says, I was sitting there. I was an older student, but I was sitting there and someone came in from a place named Asbury, Asbury College, they called it back then. And they gave testimony what God had done in Wilmore, Kentucky, just the week before. And I was so impressed. And the spirit fell on Olivet. Nazarene. And I'm going to tell you that university came alive. That college, I think it's college back then, that place, that organization, that educational institution came alive like never before. And I'm thinking, all right, I'm a proof in the pudding guy. I mean, what's that revival ever done for me? And I'm thinking, what do you mean? What's it done for you? Matt Crawford, how? was changed forever by the spirit of the living God that fell on Olivet when the Asbury testimony was shared at that educational Matt, wake up, man. What do you mean? What's it ever done for you? <laughs> I mean, that five years of uh, being mentored by Crawford, how was everything in my life? Then I'm thinking about another friend of mine. Her name was Janine Brabon. That's how the, as the, the 1970 revival got going is she got together with some people, started praying. And then those people said, now let's get our own groups and start praying. They, they start a prayer movement. And that set up the 1970 revival. Well, what happened to Janine Brabon was this. She went down to Columbus. She comes from a missionary family. So for her being a missionary isn't that big of a deal. It's kind of normal. But she went down to Columbia, got in the worst prison in the world. I mean... Uh, organized crime ran that thing from the inside. It was the worst. She goes in, she goes in with the gospel. She goes in with Hebrew, Greek, inductive Bible study, and good theology. And she starts 
basically a seminary inside of that institution. Chuck Colson writes about Janine Brabon saying, you want to know a woman that's extraordinary. There's a woman that's extraordinary. She knows how to plant churches from the worst prison in the world. Well, she changed that prison. And she did it with the Bible, with Greek, with Hebrew, with theology. Janine's one of my heroes, but she's one of my heroes because she was touched by that Asbury revival and it never left her her entire career. I'm thinking, all right, what else has it done for me? Well, my sister went to Asbury College two or three years after the 1970 revival. And I, I just know, I mean, I haven't really ever talked to her about this, but I am pretty sure that the repercussions of that revival were still moving across that campus. And, uh, and she was touched. I think she would kind of consider herself sort of an ugly duckling when she went to Asbury College. But boy, did she ever blossom and grow. She was always beautiful before she went and after. But I think she felt like she went ugly and she left extraordinary and beautiful and full of the spirit. Well, on Sunday, she's going to be preaching at one of the one of the satellites of one of the fastest growing churches in the nation. And uh, that's my sister. So how has it impacted me? I just had to think about this one. How, how did the 1970 thing ever impact me? Well, Janine Brabon, Crawford Howe, my sister Lisa. And that's quick thinking. If I kept thinking about it, I could probably tell you all kinds of other stories. And I'm cynical about the 1970 revival. <laughs> that's what's hilarious here is. I'm nothing. And the Lord says, Matt, stop it. I want you to know I've impacted you. and. Yeah, proof's in the pudding. There's no question about it. proof's in the pudding. But you may never know about the proof of this revival. What I do know is this. This morning, I've got four kids that are there. And I just got off with another district superintendent um, in the church in Nazarene, just having a friendly conversation. I just say, hey, man, can you pray for me? Can you pray? that my four kids that are there today will get everything Jesus wants them to get out of his manifest presence in Hughes Auditorium. Could you just pray with me that they would get everything they need for the Great Commission and the Great Commandments going forward? And, and folks, at the end of the day, I think that's the proof of inner revival, whether it happens in your local church, it happens to you personally, or happens to you from a place like Hughes Auditorium in the great Asbury revival. And that is, there'll be more of the great commission afterwards and there'll be more of the great commandments. I mean, what more could you say about proof in the pudding than there'll be more great commission, there'll be more of the great commandments. And I believe that to be true. Listen, let me also say this. If you want to know the presence of God today, this is what I hope will come out of this revival. But if you and I, you know, that might be a little critical about what's going on in some revival somewhere in the world, including Asbury this week. Let me just say this. If you want to know the presence of God, Jesus says, in as much as you've done it to the least of these, to the prisoner, to the hungry, to the thirsty, to the person in the nursing home, to the sick, uh, to, to the kid in the public school that can't read, and as much as you've done it to the least of these, you've done it unto me. You've done it unto me. If you want to know the presence of God, and I was having that conversation with my wife this morning. Since, sweetheart, I love what's going on in Wilmore, Kentucky. I got to tell you, I'm not so sure I want to leave because I got meetings right here where I know the presence of God is alive and well in that room. 
through the faces of the prisoner, through the faces of someone that's addicted, through the faces of someone in deep need in Jackson, Mississippi. Yeah, we never know the proof here and there. Here is the reality of the situation. The question you and I need to ask ourselves, is he present in my life? Did I know him today in devotions? Did I spend significant time with him in prayer and in Bible study, in singing the great hymns of the faith? Me, this morning, was I there in devotions with him? How am I sparking corporate prayer and more of that kind of thing? And getting into, uh, uh, this is what we say all the time in our church, are we in the ready position for whatever God wants to do in us and through us? I think two revivals in 1970 and this year, came to Asbury because some people put themselves in the ready position and God said, I like that ready position. Here I come. Are you, am I in the ready position for whatever God might want to do in our life? Is he present in your life today? And how will anybody ever know? And right there is what you and I need to deal with out of the Asbury revival. All right. He's present there. We get that. And there's there's a, there's a presence in a special way. But can I tell you the truth? That special way there, it's not in the same way as he's present in your life because that's special too. He's present in your life today, and that's special too. And he wants to do incredible things through that presence in you and through you for his kingdom and for his glory. All right, dear friends, it's a wrap. It's been an honor to have you listen to the Life-Changing Discipleship Podcast with Matt Friedemann. Hey, check out uh, anywhere you want to go, Facebook, Twitter. We're up there wherever we're Amazon.com if you want to buy some books, and we got some books you can buy. But always, always tell others about our podcast. And remember, my wife thanks you, my daughters thank you, my sons and their wives thank you. And I can assure you that I thank you for listening to Life-Changing Discipleship today. We want you to love God, live clean, keep the faith, make disciples, and God bless you, dear friends. We'll see you back here real soon. Mm-hmm.